1: Minimum of four lines for twenty five dollars per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. Five dollars more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at twenty-four monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.
0: You know, I, I don't take the train a whole lot. You know, I took the you know, my first job out of college, uh, I, I taught at a school and I used to drive down to Fairfield, uh park for free on the weekends and take the Metro North in the city. I've I've taken that Amtrak train down to Uh, Washington a ton and you know there's spots where it's just like wow this is slow and I just wanted to you know John Moritz for CT Insider uh, the headline is Amtrak's winding path through eastern Connecticut forces trains to crawl could a new route help and and, you know for me I I have a lot of questions so I'm not gonna you know ask leading questions So I'll bring them in right now John good morning how are you?
1: Good. How about yourself?
0: Good. Thanks for coming on. So, how bad is like? So, is the shoreline the number one culprit when it comes to slow travel?
1: Well, in terms of the Northeast corridor, there's really culprits all up and down uh, the stretch leading from Boston to Washington D.C. Uh, a lot of those are in the New York City area and along the Metro North tracks uh, in southwestern Connecticut. But uh, the story that I uh, published over the weekend is actually about one specific study into eastern connecticut so uh currently amtrak is pumping billions and billions of dollars to fixing uh bottlenecks throughout the rest of the route but not much of that money is going to eastern connecticut with the exception of the one replacement of the bridge over the connecticut river so this study is basically looking at the next phase of their improvements uh, a couple years down the line in terms of where they want to be making investments
0: i guess like is it even possible like i think of the northeast as like All the land is owned. Most of it's developed. Like, how are you going to make it better?
1: It's certainly going to be a big challenge. Amtrak tried this a number of years ago. You may recall back in 2016, there was a proposal to move a lot of the track inland, uh, especially near Old Lyme. And residents there raised concerns about the demolition uh, and eminent domain of their older Uh, historic buildings in that town and it basically scuttled the plan
0: so you know you talk about i mean because that's the thing is like can they can amtrak do eminent domain
1: amtrak can uh, and the federal government can do eminent domain um i spoke with uh representative joe Courtney, who represents the area last week and he you know talked about some of his concerns about that basically you're right you know a lot of the land it is a pretty densely packed region even though we often consider eastern connecticut more rural uh when you look at the country at large it's still a pretty densely packed region and there's no real area that's obvious for them to move to to make the tracks better if you look at the route now it pretty much hugs the shoreline which causes a bunch of really sharp tight curves which is part of the reason trains have to slow down so much so in order to get them to go faster they'd have to have long straightaways but that would require them to find a uh, new land to build it right away
0: i mean it's not like we're in the manifest destiny phase of mm-hmm. life here you know i mean uh, i just think that the, the era of that kind of eminent domain is, is sort of like in our in our rear view but so you have this they're doing a study right and then mm-hmm. and then what 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 will happen after the study they just put forth the proposals and then we start fighting about it
1: that's the expectation. So if you look at now, uh, the federal government's looking at spending roughly $1 billion to fix and replace the uh, ancient railroad bridge that was built in 1907 over the Connecticut River. So that's a project that, you know, they st- began looking at and studying several years back. So in order to find new ways to potentially fix this route, they're looking at beginning those projects several years in the future, and this is just a study to kind of figure out what might be the most viable options.
0: So the biggest takeaway is nothing's happening anytime soon, but they certainly recognize the problem.
1: At at least for Eastern Connecticut, that's right. The the picture's a little different in Western Connecticut, Fairfield County, where the federal government is spending roughly $6 billion on projects that are set to go ahead. These are things like the Walk River Bridge replacement in Norwalk and the replacement of the Devon Bridge in Milford.
0: Now, those are more for safety. Those won't necessarily improve service and speed, though, right?
1: Uh, They will have small improvements in speed. Part of it, you're right, is safety. Again, these are bridges that, uh, in the case of the Devon Bridge, was built in the administration of Teddy Roosevelt. So they're old, and they need to be replaced uh, for good state of repair. By replacing them, you are going to allow the trains to speed up a little bit. It won't be that much of a difference, probably on the – around two minutes per bridge. But when you look at the fact that they are doing this on multiple bridges in Connecticut, multiple bridges in New York, multiple bridges in New Jersey, a trip that starts to add up for a trip to Washington, D.C. or Philadelphia. Yeah.
0: We're talking with John Morris from CT Insider here on Brian and Company. You know, you're obviously putting out copy all the time. This was over the weekend. Can I ask you a hydropower question as well? Sure. So you wrote this piece, um, you know, uh, about hydropower and the advocates of it in Connecticut um mm-hmm. you know about dam closures but you know hydropower i guess my question is it's it's not relevant in connecticut it's like a tiny percentage could it actually some do we have enough flowing through connecticut for it ever to be a viable you know to increase power generation through water
1: you're right i don't have the number off the top of my head but it's something in it's like 1%, the 1% or 2% yeah. Yeah. yeah um the the what connecticut lawmakers are looking at now is not so much um building hydropower to become a major source of power in Connecticut, but preventing older dams from closing and then having to make up that power elsewhere. So basically, even though it is only, you know, a fraction of where we get our energy needs from, they just want to see if there's really any reason to be closing dams that are providing some small amounts of energy.
0: Got it. So, it, I mean, it, it, I don't know if you know this answer. Then, if it's a, it's a, a, a put you mm-hmm. on the spot question. Could it, could it be bigger than one percent? Or, I mean, I just don't see like there's a lot of massive flowing water power in Connecticut. There,
1: there is a there is a, a study that came out that was done by I believe the University of Idaho a couple of years back that looked at dams throughout the country, and one of the things they noted was that there are a lot of uh, existing dams in Connecticut that aren't necessarily linked up to hydropower so this may have been things that were built you know many many years ago to power mills or uh, other services that they're not really uh, needed for anymore but that because they're already there it might be somewhat easy to link up a small hydro plant uh, to them but I don't think that there's any uh, expectation that we'll be damming the Connecticut River or the Thames River anytime soon, because those uh, types of projects are going to get a lot of pushback from environmental advocates and there's, you know, concerns about the wider impact on the ecosystem and
0: the environment. Hey, just real quick before I let you go, because I know you wrote about EVs too, and it's the hottest topic. It looks like it'll be the biggest topic in the next session. And Certainly. The, and and the question really is, and that you posed that it hadn't been posed because there has been a ton of copy and they've gone over the same issues. But what? So it looks like they're not going to do some sort of outright ban of gas-powered vehicles, selling new ones by 2035. And who knows what alternatives might be put forth? But what if the question is, what if nothing happens? What if they don't do anything about it?
1: So if they, if lawmakers fail to act uh, this uh, upcoming year, what's mo- the most likely outcome is that Connecticut will revert back to the federal emission standards, which still uh, require car manufacturers to begin uh, slowly building more and more electric and plug-in hybrid vehicles as part of their fleets. But the the difference is, for example, the federal standards only get us to about two-thirds electric vehicles by the year 2032, where these California standards, which Connecticut has been following for decades, would require upwards of 80% uh, plug-in hybrid or electric vehicles by 2032, and then a complete ban on new cars. I want to emphasize new cars, because these uh, bans would not in, uh, affect the sale of used cars, um, but that would go into effect in 2035.
0: Right. Hey, great stuff, John. We appreciate you coming on the show.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Hi right, John Moritz from CT Insider. You go to ctinsider.com to read all his stuff.